Welcome. My name's Chris. What's your name? Everybody say their name at once. Oh, they're speaking in tongues. Something's going wild here. No, just joking. Hey, uh, good morning. We're so glad you're here today. And I want to begin by kind of giving a uh, highlight uh, to our hospitality team. Our uh, hospitality team uh, gets here long before any of you do, but they have everything prepared and ready for you. And they do a, a wonderful job. And uh, Marilyn Brooks, who Marilyn's right here, look, she's hiding right now, has been our uh, hospitality coordinator over the past three years. Let's give her a hand. And she's done a great job. And one of the things that we want to do is kind of ramp up our hospitality in this place even more so. Researchers tell us that people make a decision in the first 10 to 12 minutes on whether or not they'll come back to the church uh, so they've never heard the band play all the way through. They've never heard me speak, which that's probably a good thing. And, um, but they make their decision that fast. And so the way we greet each other, the way we're hospitable to one another is very, very important. And so we just want to encourage everyone... Uh, if you've been a part of the hospitality team before, uh, we want you to go back to our little table back there that has balloons and there's a, a yellow kind of uh, banner and you can sign up. Uh, or if you're new uh, and you want to be a part of the team, to go back there and do that as well. Um, you don't always have to be the person in the front. You can help with the offering or shaking hands. Uh, making coffee, if you're one of those introverted hospitality people, you know, don't want to be seen, but you like making coffee and putting donuts out. And uh, I just want to call attention to our new hospitality coordinators, uh, Greg, Gail, and Casey's back there. So if everybody can look at them, raise your hand, Colts fans. Okay, yeah, there you go. So after the celebration, go back there and talk to them, and uh, they'd love to get you connected. Well, uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Well, Father, we ask right now that you would come in the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would come into this place. My whole kind of prayer this week, God, is that we would jump into the flow of your river. Of your river of life. That God, rather than trying to flow off in our own way, God, we would get in your flow. And as we do, God... My hope is more than anything else, more than anything that I say or has been said today, that, God, we would enter into your presence, that you would convict us in this moment of how to live a more passionate life for you and the people around us. God, come now and speak to us. If you don't, um, nothing gets changed. But if you do, God, we'll leave this place today changed in a powerful way. So come now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you think about it, Jesus knew when he had one month to live. Most of us will never know when we're down to our last 30 days. But the reality is that Jesus knew 30 days before he went to the cross. And so the question that we want to ask is, well, how did he live? And he lived passionately. And that's what I want to talk about today. How do we live passionately? Now, the key verse that we're going to look at 
today and throughout our uh, time uh, today is uh, John 10.10. Now, John is in the New Testament, and John is a guy who was one of Jesus' closest friends. And uh, he wrote an account that he saw Jesus speaking one day, and these are the words that Jesus said. A thief's purpose is only to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give you real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. God wants you to stop simply existing and to start really living. He offers to you things in your life greater than you could ever imagine or ever dream of. A life of passion, a life that is to be lived exactly the way that He wants you to live it. Now the question becomes, what does it mean to live passionately? What does it mean to live passionately? Did you realize that nothing ever great happens without passion? For instance, regardless of the type of music that you listen to, there are some songs that you get into more than others. And the reason is because it speaks somewhere deep inside of you. But behind the music is someone who wrote the music, and they wrote it with passion. All good music is filled with passion. Passion is behind every piece of art that is great. Every uh, literature piece that is great. Every architecture that we see that is great. Everything that's done in an excellent way, behind it is passion. Passion is what propels an athlete to break records, Passion is what creates scientists to find cure to diseases, and passion is what makes babies. Right? It's true. I really thought that would be better than what it was. But. <laughs> Just in case you're visiting here today, we talk about sex 51 times a year, but you pick the one time we don't. So come back next week. It might be better. Well, folks, everyone that you look at, if they have passion, they have some greatness. And greatness and passion often are linked together. And what is so cool is that we worship a God who is passionate. And He's passionate about us. If you look throughout the entire Bible, what you'll see time and time again is that God is passionate for people. And the pinnacle of his passion came when Jesus Christ came downstairs from heaven to earth. And when he got here, he taught and he loved and he acted like a servant to every single person, even to the point of going to a cross and being nailed to it. And you know they call that passion weak, and it's no reason why. Because he gave passion and love for you. And in the same way, folks, just as God is passionate for us, He has placed passion within each of you. When it comes down right to it, passion can be defined this way. Passion is enthusiasm for life. It's enthusiasm for life. Now, the word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, uh, en and theos. Now, the word theos means God. And the word in, guess what it means? In. Yeah, that was real tough, huh? But 
what enthusiasm means then is God within. And when you're living a life that God has called you to, God is within you and you are living a life that is filled with enthusiasm. But the problem is there are many things that crowd into my life and into your life and it threatens to steal our passion and our enthusiasm for life. I mean, I am a person who naturally gravitates to an overcrowded schedule. A full calendar, a full Blackberry. I don't even know how to work it, but it's always full with stuff in it. And maybe you do too. How many of you right now feel like you don't have enough time in your day to get everything done that you need to by the end of your day? Raise your hands. Okay. And how many of you are just too tired to raise your hands right now? Yeah, exactly. See, that includes everybody then, right? You see, the struggle with many of us is that we have no margin in life. We have no space. We have no rest. We have no place that we can just be. We have no margin. We don't sleep enough. We don't eat right. We don't exercise. Our schedules are filled to the max with event after event after event. And because of this, we get stressed and we get overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, what happens? We lose our passion. We get so busy with the details in life that we miss out on the most important things. It kind of reminds me of uh, Steve Martin in the movie uh, Father of the Bride. If you've ever seen that movie, or you haven't, basically he's planning for the wedding day. And he gets to the day of his daughter to be married. And the day doesn't work out exactly the way that he wants, and he gets crowded, and he gets overscheduled, and he's parking cars, and he's filling food trays, and he's around people, greeting them, making sure everyone's happy. And he realizes almost at the end of the movie that the only time he saw his daughter the entire day was when he walked her down the aisle. And so he looks and he finally notices them and they're getting ready to head off to the honeymoon. But there's no way that Steve can get to his daughter. So he goes through this crowded house, through these people, but he doesn't quite get there. Let's take a look at the clip. Well, I had to admit the wedding appeared to be a complete success. Now all I needed to make me happy was a dance with the bride. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a few moments, this is Annie Banks McKenzie will be tossing a bouquet in the foyer, and then she's off to Hawaii. This I was not going to miss. The mob was headed through the living room, so I decided to take a shortcut. seen him.
she was gone. My Annie was gone, and I was too late to say goodbye. There's a story in the Bible in which um, I think it's very similar to what we just saw. Of a person trying their best to get to another person, but they just can't quite get there in time. Jesus is in the middle of a packed house. There are people all around him. And the person who needs Jesus the most can't quite get to him. Let's look at the story. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him down before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven, but that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what had been lying on that he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. I love this passage because of the focus and the determination and the intentionality of these friends. I mean, nothing was going to get in their way of getting to the goal of having their friend brought to Jesus. And at the end of the day, the scripture says that they experienced incredible things. And I was just thinking, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be great in which we lived every single moment, every single day, in which we did the important things, and at the end of the day, there were remarkable things that happened all around us. However, for many of us, what happens is we get choked by the crowd and we never quite get to Jesus. And because we can't get to Him, what happens is we lose our passion. So when that happens, and it happens to all of us, it happens to me, the question becomes, how do I recapture the passion in my life? How do I recapture it? Well, first of all, you have to do something drastic. Okay? You have to do something drastic. The Scripture here says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Here, the crowd is keeping these guys from getting their friend to Jesus to be healed. And so what do they do? They go roof style. They go up to the top of the roof and they start tearing away the roof and you can understand that people are underneath and all of a sudden stuff's coming down. They're like, dude, what's going on? Is it an earthquake or something? And here comes a guy that's down, uh, lifted down on this rope. Now, if you want to freak your neighbors out, just go home today, get on top of their roof and say, hey, I heard Jesus was here, you know? If you do, just tell them that you go to the bridge, though, okay? Don't tell them you go to the jar. 
I'm just joking. I love the bridge. And in the same way, when you get your life so overcrowded, you can't just do a couple of things and think you're going to restore your passion. you got to take some drastic measures. You've got to do something drastic. Folks, today if you're going to restore the passion in your life, you need to stop and ask a clarifying question, and it's this. If I knew I only had one month to live, how would I live it? If I knew I only had one month to live, how would I live it? I mean, what would you do? What would you not do? What would the priorities be in your life? What would be in your schedule? Folks, the reality is that for many of us, we're not likely going to die in a month. Lord willing, you're going to live weeks, months, years, decades ahead. And the key to living a life that's filled with passion is asking the clarifying question daily, what would I do, though, if I only had a month to live? It increases your passion. And as you start asking that drastic question daily, there are a couple things that happen. First of all, you realize what's important. You begin to really realize what's important. Last week, our uh, church basketball team had uh, its first game. We won. We killed them, actually, okay? And we're 2-0 and now. And I don't know what it is, but I played basketball in high school. I actually set the bench in high school, but um, I was on the team. And now, you know, every time I play, uh, if there's a crowd or there's like two referees, it just does something weird to me. And I get all revved up. And I feel like Jordan, you know, coming out of retirement. And uh, I finally got home. And uh, I'm ready for the game. I get my high-top tennis shoes, my goggles. I'll have to wear those for you sometime. It looked like a real 39-year-old geek, really. But um, in my world, I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be awesome. And so I get everything ready. I'm just getting ready to walk out the door. And my daughter, Jordan, comes up to me and she says, Hey, Daddy, would you swing me on the swing? And I'd love to say that uh, I immediately said, absolutely, dear, but I stopped. And I hate to say it, but there are many times that you can convince a three-year-old that you can do it later. And uh, I've done that many different times. But I've been so convicted about this series, about living every moment to its fullest, that I took 15, 20 minutes and I started swinging my daughter Jordan and uh, also my daughter Shiloh. And when I got to the game, it was already for the tip-off, and uh, I wasn't going to be able to start. I didn't play much of the game. It took me about half of the first half to get stretched out. When you're 39, you got to stretch a lot of things. You didn't have to stretch when you were 19. But I'll tell you what. When I left that day, I realized I did the most important thing. I swung my daughter. In our story today, that's exactly what happened to these guys. They realized what was important. That what was most important is that they had to care for their friend enough to get him to Jesus. They realized that replacing a roof did not even compare to getting this man to the one who could heal him. 
And so they took this drastic measure and they tore through the roof because they realized that that was what was most important. The second thing that starts to happen when you do something drastic and you see when you're asking this question, if I knew I only had one month to live, how would I, how would I live it? Is you have to remove obstacles. What you begin to start seeing is you remove obstacles. You decide what's important and then you cut everything else out so that you can do that one thing. These guys in this passage realized that the roof was the obstacle. They couldn't get to him unless they got through the crowd or they went through the roof. And there was no way to get through the crowd, so they went through the roof. And we need to be drastic in our lives. I'm a list maker. Anybody a list maker here? Yeah, make lists. All right. Looks like I'm about the only male who does that, but... Many times, though, I make a lot of lists. And sometimes I'll have 20 things on my list. I'll put it all down and remember what they are. And I'll never forget, when Jennifer and I, uh, my wife, uh, first got married, she came to me one time and I had written uh, a list of stuff. And she just came up to me and she goes, Chris, are all those things really good? You know, I'd only been married like three or four years and I kind of got bristled and a little defensive. And I'm like, yeah, all 20 of them are good. And I'll never forget the wisdom my wife gave to me when she said this. She said, well, now you just have to pick the excellent things. You see, folks, there is a difference between good things and excellent things. And what happens is we let the good things become obstacles that we never get to the excellent things. And folks, there's a lot of good things that a lot of people will want you to get involved in and be a part of. But God wants you to focus on the excellent things. And remove any obstacle that's needed to make sure that those things get done. Now the question always you're asking probably is, well Chris, how do I figure out what is the excellent thing? How do I choose? Well one way in this one month to live lifestyle is you ask the question of yourself... If I only had one month to live, would I be doing this particular thing? And this is what I found out. That the excellent things are not the things where the bells and whistles go off. They're not the things where people come and they give you, uh, you know, accolades and they praise you and they say, oh, awesome. In fact, most of the time, the excellent things go unnoticed and unpraised if you choose them. And yet they're still the excellent things. They're things like when you're putting your kids to bed at night and they're asking for you to read one more book and you're totally exhausted yourself, you read the book. It's getting up early in the morning and making breakfast or uh, getting coffee for your spouse or going on a walk. It's going to find a friend that maybe you haven't connected with in a long time and say, hey, I'm taking you out to lunch. See, folks, no one will ever praise you for those things. No one, more than likely, will praise you for coming to church today, for making God a part of your life. But it's an excellent thing. Folks, I just want to encourage you today to begin the process of figuring out what is most important and then removing whatever obstacles are in the way so that you can focus not just on the good stuff on your list, but the excellent things. Here's the second thing that happens. 
It is you expect the unexpected. If you want to rediscover the passion in your life, what happens is you have to expect the unexpected. You prioritize and you make a list of things that are important to you. You plan. You come up with a plan. But have you ever noticed that sometimes your best plans get interrupted? You ever notice that? You plan it, you get it all ready, and things don't go as planned. You see, life sometimes interrupts our plans. I mean, there will always be something that comes into your day that will be crazy and hectic. And then you have to decide how you're going to respond. Will you lighten up your attitude and go, All right, God, I'm giving it to you. You're in control. I know you got it. Because our greatest survival struggle in our busy schedules is that we try to control Every single thing. Anybody here a control freak? Raise your hand. Okay, anybody sitting by somebody that they think is a control freak? Look at that. All these people did it then. (laughs) See, I know. Well, I'm I'm a recovering control freak. But the reality is that I relapse. Every once in a while. I mean, I need to plan. I need to prioritize. But I'm learning that when plans get messed up, that God is still in control. That's what happened with these three guys in our story today. They bring their friend to Jesus, and there's such a big crowd of people that's in the house that they can't get to Him. They weren't planning on this packed room. And they realize that their plan is not going to go as planned. Now at this point, they could have said something like this. Well, we gave it a good shot. Good job. Sorry, bud. Looks like you're going to be paralyzed for a few more years. We did our best, man. Talk to you later. Off. But they didn't do that. They changed their plans. Folks, whenever your plans change, it's the passion of your life that rolls with the punches. If you're not passionate about whatever, you'll give up very quickly. But if there is a passion within you, you'll roll with the punches. You just give it to God, you come up with a new plan, and it's more creative. These guys got creative. They went through a person's roof. And when they lowered them down, Jesus did something unexpected. In verse 20 it says, When Jesus saw their faith, He said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, He was expecting Jesus to heal him. In fact, everybody in the house was expecting Jesus to heal him. I mean, the whole reason that these friends tore open the the roof was so that Jesus could heal him. But what happens is Jesus says, I'm going to forgive your sins. Totally unexpected. Now, this man could have said, well, Jesus, don't you get it? I'm down here on a mat. I mean, that forgiving of sin stuff, that's great and all, but I haven't walked my entire life. So do that later, but heal me now. But he didn't do that. He received the unexpected. 
Folks, we need to learn to receive the unexpected in our lives. And in this story, Jesus knew what was best for this man. He needed spiritual healing first and then physical healing. So Jesus healed him spiritually first and then physically. Because God knows what's best for you than you do. Most of my life, I don't live it that way. I think I know what's best. But the reality is, God knows what's best. We have to come to the place with our plans that even though they're important and even though we prioritize them, if life interrupts it, we're okay because we go, God, you got it. You're in control. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to stress. I'm not going to try and control this thing. You see... The problem is we make our plans and we lay it all out there. And then when they get interrupted, what happens is we get frustrated and upset and ticked off. And we begin to lose our passion. Once interruptions come, we lose our passion. You know, when I'm stressed, when I'm frustrated, when I'm upset, what I often notice is that I'm trying to control everything. It's when I let go that God actually moves within the midst of the things that I'm trying to control. And folks, if you try to control everything around you, I'm trying to control something, you'll lose your passion. So if you want passion in your life, you have to leave room for God to interrupt it whenever He chooses. I don't know if you realize this or not, but God is an unpredictable God. He's not predictable. You can't put him in a box and manage him. He's bigger and larger than any of those things. And what happens with so many Christians, they want to get God manageable. Let's make him manageable. He's beyond being managed. And he's unpredictable. God knows what is best for you. And when you say, I I believe that, God, you know what's best. I trust you. I give it to you. All of a sudden, you live with some freedom. Here's the third thing you do, is you create space... For God. You create God's space. You got space for everything else in your life. Many of us will have space for NFL games all day today. In the same way, we need to have some God's space. In verse 19, it says this The men lowered their friend into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Right there, in front of this whole crowd, they create some space. For this man to connect with the Son of God, Jesus Himself. And folks, in the same way, in the middle of our crowded, overscheduled lives, we have to put some intentionality into space that we create for God. The problem is that many of us, including myself, deal with what I call when-then thinking. You ever do this before? When my life slows down then I'll really get involved and create some space for God. When I'm not so busy, then I'll take care of the important things. Lately, I've been going, when Jordan stops pooping in her diaper, then, no, you know, then we'll just celebrate you know, forever. Jennifer left me yesterday for five hours. I had both of them alone. Don't you feel sorry for me? Go like this, go, no. But we do. We live this when-then thinking. When this happens, then I'll get my life together. When this happens, then everything will be better. 
But folks, the reality is things are never going to slow down. And there will always be interruptions in this thing called life. So you have to decide, this is my life. I control this aspect of the fact of how I use my time. And I'm not going to get sucked into the crowd. I'm not going to do this when-then thinking. And let me just say, if you're not doing the excellent things now or the most important things now in your life, guess what? They'll never get done. You choose what things are created and what space you give to them. And the only way that I know how to do that is to follow the example of Jesus. The Bible says this, Very early in the morning one day, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You see, even Jesus, God's one and only Son, had to create space to be with his heavenly Father. Jesus knew what was most important. He had to get away from the crowd. He had to get away from the schedule. He had to get away from the Blackberry. He had to get away from whatever it was and to simply be in a solitary place with God. Friends, if you want passion in your life, the secret to keeping passion in your life is creating space for God. To make space for the one who knows you best because He created you and He loves you most. He went to a cross and died just for you. Now the question becomes, how do you do it? How do you make space for God? Well, we follow Jesus' example. We get away by ourselves and we spend some time with Him. I know if you're a mom, if you're a single mom especially, it's difficult. So if you have to get to the bathroom, lock the door, throw the key away, whatever it is, you know, you take some time. And whether it's 10, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, you just spend some time with God. You see, the problem is, is that many of you today will get ramped up on God. And you'll go home and tomorrow you'll be like, man, I'm pumped. I'm going to spend 30 minutes with you, God. And Monday will come and there'll be 30 minutes that you're with God. Tuesday comes and you're like, see you, God. Because you can't do 30 minutes. I can't do 30 minutes sometimes. But whatever it is that you can do, do it consistently. 5, 10, 15 minutes, hang out with Him. Maybe the first 5 minutes is you're reading uh, One Month to Live. He's not offended by that, by the way. And you read the one day reading, and you connect with Him. Or you read the Bible. The Bible's a great thing. We have some uh, pamphlets that are in the back five minutes alone with God where you can go and read. And people never tell you where to start and so you start in Genesis and it says, me Nash got to be bash, boo bash, or boo bash, and they all begat, begotten, bego, and you're like, what the... Ugh! But we'll give you a reading plan that you can do five minutes a day and you can start in a place where you read the teachings of Jesus. And maybe the second five minutes you focus in on prayer. And if you're like, man, prayer freaks me out, just ask this question then. God, here's five minutes. Do with it whatever you want. I'm listening to you. And then just wait. Maybe you'll sense something. Maybe you won't. But there is that ability to do that. You see, when my life gets really, really hectic, it's very easy for me to take a pass on God and create space for everything else, and I crowd God out. 
But what I've found is that when I'm overloaded, when I'm overwhelmed, when my schedule's at its max, that's exactly the time that He wants me to create space for Him. And I've found when I create space for Him at the beginning of my day, He clarifies things. He lets me know the difference between good and excellent. And I get this wisdom that comes from Him. And this is the reason why when we give God first place. Proverbs 10.27 tells us, reverence for God adds what? Hours to your day. How many of you need more time to your day? A lot of you raised your hand, right? Put God first. You put God first, and He gives more time to your day. And so when I give that 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is, and I have a busy day, He multiplies the time of my day. You see, folks, there's always enough time for God to get done what He wants to get done in your life. There's never enough time to get done what everybody else wants you to do, right? So when I begin to please Him, He multiplies my time when I put Him first. I don't understand how He does it, but I know it works. It's God's promise. Reverence for God adds hours to your day. So if you're ever confused, you don't know what to do, you're feeling overwhelmed, stop. Create some space for God, and then He'll reveal to you what the next thing is you need to do. Here's the last thing. Keep a constant reminder. Keep a constant reminder. You know, as I've really begun to kind of live this one-month-to-live lifestyle, and I've really tried to take it seriously over the past couple of months, it's been really important for me to keep reminders around me so that I don't drift off into the crowd and get overcrowded with my schedule and life and everything else. Luke 5.24 says this, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, what do you think is interesting about that? This man has just been healed. Jesus could have said, get up, take your mat, and throw it in the trash. You're not going to need it ever again. You're going to be able to walk. You'll never need it. But he doesn't say that. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And I think what Jesus was saying when he said those words, I want to give you a reminder. A reminder of what I did for you on this day. And I, have ima- I can imagine when he walks into his house, he looks up on the shelf in the living room, and there's the mat. And he looks at that mat, and he reminds himself again and again, that's what Jesus did for me. He goes off, he has a bad day, he comes back home. He looks up, and there's a reminder. That's what Jesus did. He brought me through that crowd, through a roof, and he healed me. And we need constant reminders too. Let me give you just four real quick ones that you can do. The first one is this. You just ask that question each day. God, what would I do if I only had one month to live? What would I do? What would you do? The second thing is you read a chapter in the book. If you haven't started yet, tomorrow we're going to be on day eight. So you pick it up and you start reading it. And if you haven't got a book yet, you can get one in the back. The third thing is you sign up for a group. You will never grow 
as much as God wants you to grow unless you get in a group. It's the most powerful thing when you do it together in a group. And we don't have weird groups. We save those for later on, okay? But uh, for the campaign, we have you know, normal groups. I'm just joking. But get in a group. And the last thing is, is this gift that I'm going to give you today. It's called a reminder band. When you leave today, every single person is going to get one of these. I'm going to be at the front door, and I'm going to make sure that you all get them, okay? And it says, one month to live. And on the other side, it says, live with no regrets. And this thing I've been wearing over the last couple of months, and it just reminds me to ask that question. If I only had one month to live, would I do this? I had this on when I decided to swing Jordan instead of doing my own thing. And if you're a guy and you're like, I don't wear bracelets. I'm tough. Put it around your ear, you know? (laughs) Joking. Just wear it. It's just a reminder to ask that question. If I had one month to live, would I do this? Well, I love the way the Scripture ends. It goes like this. It says, Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what, had been lying, that, what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. That word immediately is for us today. You can leave from this place today and not do anything immediately. Or you can leave and you can say, Immediately, I'm going to start getting rid of some of the crowdedness in my schedule. I'm going to recapture my passion for life by starting to live out and creating space for God. Immediately. This past Wednesday, uh, I always have a half day off on Wednesdays, and my wife Jennifer does too. And I was just asking myself, if I only had one month to live, what is the greatest gift that I could give my wife? You know what I thought of? A nap. And so uh, I said, honey... I'm going to take both of the kids, and uh, you take a nap, and we're going to go swimming. And so I picked up the phone. I called my dad. I said, Dad, you doing anything? Yeah, well, I was thinking about, no, I need you. Your granddaughters need you. you know? <laughs> and so he came, and uh, we went, and we took both girls swimming. And um, when we got to the pool, my three-year-old daughter, Jordan, uh, was there, my 18-month daughter uh, Shiloh was, and I took Jordan, and my dad took Shiloh, and Jordan loves to swim. There is nothing more that she is more passionate about than swimming. And uh, to be honest, I hate swimming. I was in a triathlon with some guy here from the church. I almost drowned out at Prairie Creek, and if I don't ever have to swim again in my life, I'll be fine with it, you know? It won't affect me at all. And I really hate to swim in cold pools, and nothing against the why, but this thing right here, man, it freezes you to death, okay? But I knew Jordan loved to swim. I wanted to kind of do this for my wife, and uh, I thought if I only had one month to live, I'd want to be able to do what Jordan was passionate about. And uh, we got to the pool, and Jordan and I get out there, and we get her all, you know, with her uh, life preserver and all that on, and immediately... When she gets to the pool, she goes, Daddy, catch! And she jumps into the water. And so I catch her and I go, Jordan, next time give me a little bit more clue. She goes, no problem. She swims to the edge. She goes, Daddy, catch! And we did that for 30 minutes, just back and forth and back and forth. Her jumping, me catching her, and she swims to the edge. 
After we were done with this whole thing and I was freezing to death, I thought to myself, why did I just do that? Why did I just go through 30 minutes of freezing water watching her splash me every time? And then the answer came to me quickly. It's not that I'm passionate about swimming at all. But I'm passionate about my girls. And if I only had one month to live, I would take them swimming every single day. And watching them have fun gives me no greater joy in life. And watching them have blue lips was pretty cool too. (laughs) But you know what? I was kind of thinking about it this morning. And if I had to kind of like rank my week, the thing that I valued the most was Swimming Wednesday. Because I'm passionate about them. And then it hit me this morning that God thinks the same thing about you. He loves to watch His kids be passionate about whatever it is they're passionate about. He loves you so much, folks. I wish in some way we could tear the roof off of here sometime and God's love and passion would come down and you could just experience a moment where you feel that sense that I'm His kid and He's passionate about me. Some of us have become so buried by our schedules and today is a day for us to Get over the overcrowdedness and become passionate about the one who loves you most. To get up, pick up your mat, and to follow him. Let's stand for closing prayer. Loving God, we we thank you so much that you're a passionate God. And we pray this morning, God, that you would help us to recapture our passion for you, for our families, for your church, for the friends around us. To take whatever drastic measures we need to take to be able to spend time with you. Help us to expect the unexpected And to watch you step in and just add hours to our day as we connect with you. Lord, we commit this week to you. To live each day like we only had one month to live. And when we forget this week, God, whether it's the reminder band or the question, whatever, that we would just remember. And Lord, I pray for those here today who've never received you. I pray right now that in the silence of their heart, that they would know that you're passionate about them, that you're their kid. And they could just say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you within my life.
Forgive me of my sins. And as best as I know how, I want you to be Lord of my life from now on. And Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would live this one month to live lifestyle. That you would prepare our hearts this week for miracles that are going to happen. And God, more than anything else, we want to follow you. Help us to do that this week. In Christ's name and for his honor. Amen. Mikey and uh, Emily Scoglin are going to be up here to pray for anybody. So they'll be right here. Have a great week and know that you're loved in this place. Come on up, prayer team.